Welcome, everybody. We uh, are beginning today uh, a new sermon series that we are calling Encounter. And the idea is that here in this season of Lent, that we encounter Christ in a particular way. We've given you a symbol of that right here. We're under construction. uh, And in Lent, our lives are, are under construction, or we remember that they are under construction. And we need an encounter with the living God. We need an encounter with Christ in order to to set our lives right, that we don't have any power to do that on our own, by our own will, that we don't save ourselves, that we require the power of God meeting us in our life where we are to change us, to save us, to make us who God has called us to be. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a few different stories that help us imagine that. Uh, We'll be looking at the next week at the story where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman by the well, and he tells her everything about her life. And she goes back with this amazing testimony of uh, encountering the Messiah and goes and tells the Samaritan people. Uh, Then we'll, the week after that, we'll look at the story of Jesus meeting uh, and healing a man who was born blind. Uh, And he tells, he puts mud on his eyes and encounters him in that way. And he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and the man is healed. And then the week after that, we'll look at the story of Lazarus, how God encounters in Christ, encounters Lazarus in such a way that even death is defeated. So we have these stories ahead of us, the stories of forgiveness, uh, stories of healing, stories even of resurrection, of God encountering us so as to conquer death. And the story that we have today is sort of a prelude to all of those stories. This is a story that tells us something about forgiveness. Uh, This is a story that tells us something about what it is to have eternal life with God, to to have new life, to be resurrected even ahead of time. And it's a story that tells us something about what it is for us to be healed, to be healed of our sins, to be healed of our selfishness, to be healed of our blinded way of of doing things. And that is the story of Nicodemus. So let's read this together. This is in John 3, uh, beginning with verse 1 down through uh, 17, and, and I shall read it for us. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can anyone enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. 
If I told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As I read this passage, uh, the thing that most immediately strikes me is how clueless Nicodemus seems to be. Uh, Notice, Nicodemus has gone to Jesus under the cover of darkness, right? Like, uh, what was his name, Dale in the video, Nicodemus is not willing to be bold. He's hiding who he really is or what he's really thinking. He's, he's not willing to be transparent. Um, and the story that you'll hear next week, the, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus encounters her in the middle of the day in broad daylight. And she goes back and tells the Samaritan people what she's heard from Jesus in broad daylight. Nicodemus, right before, encounters Jesus in the dark. And what we're supposed to get is that Nicodemus is in the dark and this Samaritan woman is going to leave enlightened, right? He is going to, apparently in the story, remain in the dark. And so Nicodemus goes to Jesus and he's thoroughly confused. And I think we very often are are like Nicodemus. We come with our presuppositions of who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do. Notice what Nicodemus does, right? He goes to Jesus and, and here in, he goes there, he goes in the middle of the night, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the very presence of God. Shows up to Jesus, and what are his first words to Jesus? Jesus, we know. Right? We know who you are. We figure this out. Now, this might seem like sort of a, a bit of a statement of faith, but Nicodemus is coming to Jesus from the, from the wrong perspective, right? He's showing up and he's telling Jesus who he is. And how does he know who Jesus is? He knows who Jesus is, so he says, because of the signs that Jesus has performed. And this should send out like warning flags to us. In the passage that's just before this, at the end of John 2, uh, this is what John tells us. When he was in Jerusalem, that's Jesus during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people and knew and needed no one to testify uh, about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. We've been told by John just before this that Jesus is not entrusting himself to people who are only looking for a sign, right? Who have used their own intellect, their own interpretation of the world uh, to ascribe to Jesus, this is who Jesus is. And so right after that, we have Nicodemus showing up in the dark and telling Jesus, we know who you are. We've seen the signs. We're supposed to realize that Nicodemus is coming to Jesus from this wrong-headed perspective. But yet, how often do we do the same thing? We think that we can know who Jesus is. We can live in him. This is how Jesus operates. And he operates according to our expectations. And and we we can, we've got this thing figured out, right? And sometimes within this very passage, um, that kind of, and, and some of the, pa- the word, phrases that we encounter here in this very passage can sort of lend itself to that. So for example, we have John 3.16, this verse that everyone knows and, and loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him 
might not perish, but have eternal life. This is a beautiful, what Luther called, a, you know, the gospel sort of in one verse. Um, but what do we do? We sort of take that and we put it on bumper stickers and we get so accustomed to that that it becomes hard for us to hear what that's really saying to us and the, and the astonishing message that that is. We'll come back to what's astonishing about it here in a little bit. But we like to reduce our Christianity to, to sort of bumper stickers or to eye black or to a t-shirt or something like that. And we can take verses, just sort of separate them from their larger story and, and do that. The other phrase here that makes a lot of people nervous and is, is another example of how we often come to Christ with presuppositions about what scripture is claiming is, is this phrase, uh, to be born from above, as the translation we just read put it, or you might have heard it this way, to be born again. And already when I said born again, there are people here who got nervous, right? Now, some people are really enthusiastic about that term, and they would readily tell you, yes, I'm a born again Christian. But for other folks, that sounds like something scary. It sounds like, well, that's the people who are sort of mean and oppressive about their faith. That's what they think of as being born again. Or they think of, you know, that's a particular mode of Christians who have had some sort of experience. And, you know, I haven't really had exactly that in my life, so I'm not really born again. Or maybe for some people it, it notes uh, sort of like a conservative particular strain of Christianity. And so they get scared of that term. And so we come to this very passage, like Nicodemus, with presuppositions about what Jesus is saying and doing because of what we've heard in the water. But what I hope that we hear today in this passage is this astonishing gift that God gives to us in being born anew in him, in being born again or being born from above. Because what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that there's no such thing as a Christian who is, in the sense that he's trying to tell us, not a born-again Christian. To, to have life with Christ, to have a connection with Christ, to have an encounter with Christ, a true encounter with Christ, is to have your life transformed and changed. It is to be born again, to be born anew, to receive power from the one um, who has given himself for us. And so what I hope we hear today is that we can step back from some of our presuppositions about whatever that might be, that we can separate ourselves from our Nicodemus-like uh, tendency to assume that Jesus is saying one thing or another, and hear Jesus and hear the Spirit for what they are saying to us in this passage and saying to us even today. To have an encounter with Christ is to be born again, or to be born from above, to be born anew. Now, the first thing you should know about this phrase, to be born again or to be uh, born from above, is that it's a pun, all right? Let me take a brief aside here. I'm going to tell you a new pun I learned. Uh, how do you tell uh, the gender of ants? Well, you, you put them in water, and the ones that, the ones that float are the boy ants, It took you it took a couple of people, it took a second. All right, those are the boy ants. All right, it's a pun. The phrase here to be born again is a pun in Greek, or at least it's a double meaning. The, the, the word that we translate as again or from above, this translation that we read says from above, the one that you might be used to says born again. 
um, that word can mean both of those things, or it does mean both of those things. It's not like you choose between them. The word just means what it means. Again and above are sort of the same idea in Greek. And so to say that we have to be born again and born from above, Jesus is, is playing on both of these ideas and trying to get Nicodemus to see what he is, is meaning. To be have an encounter with Christ, to be born again, to be born from above, is to have your life transformed by this power that is not of yourself. I mean, that's the whole problem with Nicodemus. He's coming to Jesus with all of these presuppositions that he knows what Jesus is up to. And Jesus tells him, no, Nicodemus says, I've seen, we've seen what you're doing. And Jesus says, no, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you have been born again, unless you've been born from above. You think you know, you think you see, but you don't have the power to know or to see or to hear until that has been given to you by God. The power has to come from God. You have no ability to to understand Christ rightly. I have no ability to understand Christ rightly apart from the very gift of God to us. And so this is, a, this is a call, this is a message for us and for Nicodemus, not to rely on ourselves, but instead to rely on the power of God. Now, let's take a quick poll. Who volunteered to, here to be born? No one, right? You were just born, right? You didn't choose it. It has happened to you. It was the gift of life that was given to you. And this same image is what Jesus is calling for Nicodemus and for us to hear. That an encounter with Christ means that we surrender our wills. Or rather, that God can save us in spite of our wills. That it is God's choice of us that saves us. It is the work of Christ that saves us. It is not work that we have done on our own through our own power. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that sounds a little Calvinist for a Methodist preacher. But it's actually not. This is what John Wesley believed and taught and preached. Uh, perhaps you've heard of this sort of Methodist idea of provenient grace. Um, this is sort of what, what he's talking about here. This is the idea that all, by ourselves, on our own, none of us have the ability to respond to God. We need God to save us so that we then have the ability to respond to God. That on our own, because of our sin, because of our spiritual blindness, because of our willfulness, we have no power to save ourselves. But it is the gift of God in Christ, the death of Christ for us, that enables us to say yes to God. So do we have a role in our salvation? Absolutely. But that role is always in response to Christ who has given his life for us. It's not like God does a little work and we do a little work and we meet in the middle somewhere and it's all good. No, God has done all of the work, right? God has accomplished salvation for us. And because God has saved us, we then respond in faith to God and grow in our faith. And God enables us to respond to him. So all of our will is not necessarily free will. The better phrase would be grace-enabled will. God, through God's grace, has enabled us to respond to God. So we are always, yes, it is important for us to say yes to God and to follow him, but that's always on the basis of what God has done for us in Christ. And so because we are born again, we're sort of like in the position of of a newborn. Um, To be born from above means that we have a power that's not of ourselves, 
We have a power that is from God, but yet we still are in this, in this place. It's sort of like uh, when, a, when a child is born, right? The baby was a human being and alive before birth, right? But then after the baby is born, outside of the womb, the child is still equally a human being and equally alive as, as the baby always has been, but now inhabits the world in a new way, even if the baby is in the exact same space, right? Before birth, the child in the mother's womb is, is there in a room or in a particular space. After birth, that child can be in the very same room, in the very same you know, longitude and latitude on the earth, right? But then experiences the world in a whole new way. And so it is with us who are born again or born from above. We inhabit the world in a new way. We now have the power that God has given us to have life with Christ, even in the same place that we've always been, right? In the same job that you were working the day before, with the same family in the same town in the same place that you've always been. But now, because of the power of God in your life, a power that is not of your own, but is, it is of God, then you experience life from an entirely different perspective in an entirely new way. And then that changes the way that you live in the world. The same idea is embedded in this, in this concept of eternal life, that we have eternal life with Christ. The way that you, another way that you might translate that is life of the age to come. When we have eternal life with Christ, yes, that's life that lasts forever, but it's not just that. It's life that reflects what God will do when Christ returns and makes all things new. Eternal life starts now. It's the life of the age to come. It's the life of God's way of living and doing things that we experience right here and right now in this place, in our lives, in the same place that we've always been, but in an entirely different and an entirely new way. That's what it is to have eternal life. That's what it is to be born from above. None of those images worked. I got another one for you. So I was at Monster Trucks, the Monster, I was at Monster Jam on, on Friday night. Um, and because I, I'm already half deaf, I need to take care of the rest of my hearing that I have. I had those little roll up things that you put in your ears so you can, you know, I see the I saw the, the, the grave digger, you know, go up and, and, and land on its back and all kinds of craziness, right? And, you, and you're, you get used to all the noise and you've got the things in your ears. And so we're like leaving, we're leaving uh, the Bancor South Arena and I still have the plugs in my ears and I'm trying to say something to Jessica and I, I realize that I, I can't hear, right? Um, and then, oh, that's why I can't. I take the, I take the plugs out of my ears and then every, all of these sounds come rushing in. I'm experiencing the world in this totally different way that I'd forgotten was possible with the, with the plugs in my ears. In the same way, eternal life, eternal life is sort of like this, or, or to be born again is sort of like this. God takes the plugs out of our ears, takes away these things that have kept us from hearing and kept us from seeing and kept us from knowing God, these blinders that we've had on just like Nicodemus has had on, and removes those so that we experience God, we experience life in an entirely new way. And God, having removed the earplugs and removed the blinders and removed our sin, enables us to then respond to God's grace and say yes to Christ. And so, 
to be born again is like going to uh, Monster Jam. You can talk about that one at lunch. Um, the other thing that God is like is uh, a snake on a stick, and we'll talk about that in a second. Those are your lunch topics, monster trucks uh, and, uh, and being born again and snakes on a stick uh, and, and, and lifting up Jesus. So talk about that amongst yourselves. Um, so that is what it is to be, born, to be born again, to be born anew. It's not of our own power. It's not of our own doing. It is a gift of God to us so that we can be changed in Christ and know life in an entirely new way. How do we do that? How do we experience that? It's not through lifting up ourselves or our own experience. It is through lifting up Christ. So let's return and let's read, uh, starting with verse 12. This is like one of my favorite passages in Scripture. If I have told you about earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe when I tell you about heavenly things? This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's go back. John three fourteen. just because I like this so much. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, you've seen John three sixteen shirts, uh, and you've seen John three sixteen bumper stickers. I am planning to launch a new line of John three fourteen shirts and bumper stickers that well, I might even get a John 3.14 tattoo. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. I don't understand why this, this verse isn't more popular. It's wonderfully visual. We've got a snake on a stick. And it's all about exalting Jesus and eternal life. I think it is essential for us to understand what Jesus is saying here if we're going to understand John 3.16 aright. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone, uh, who, whoever believes in him, may have eternal life. This is where the, the shocking message of John 3.16 sometimes is missed. Uh, and to understand what Jesus is talking about here puts this passage in a new light for us. So what is Jesus talking about? What, is he, what does he mean when, when Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness? Jesus is telling Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a leader of his people, a teacher of Israel, he's reminding him of a story from his scriptures that he should know. This is from Numbers 21. I think we have it here for us to see. And this is the story back in Numbers 21. Uh, the people of Israel are out in the wilderness they are they're wandering through the wilderness in this 40-day period, just as we uh, are sort of reliving that in some ways in Lent. And this 40, there are 40 years, 40 days for us of, of fasting and waiting and searching for God. Uh, and this, they're getting tired of it, right? They're tired of being in the wilderness. They're tired of all this stuff. And so they're going to find something else. Uh, and this is what happens. This is from Numbers 21, starting with verse 4. Uh, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They're a little dramatic. For there's no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. 
And then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that, the Israel, that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we have, sinned against, uh, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord so that they, he may take the serpents away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus is not just a casual message of God's love and that Jesus has come for us. It is a vision of what Jesus will do for us on the cross. The people of Israel say to God, we've had enough of this. We've had enough of your way of doing things. We're tired of waiting. We're going to do things our way. And as a punishment for their sins, they are stricken by these snakes. But God provides forgiveness. And he provides this symbol, lift up the serpent, uh, and anyone who's bitten, anyone who has sinned, anyone who's spoken against me and against you, Moses, those people will live. And what Jesus is telling Nicodemus and what Jesus is telling us is this glimpse of what God will do for us on the cross. How do we know God's love for us? How do we know that God has come for us in Christ? Because the one who has descended is the one who will be lifted up. Jesus is the one who has come from heaven, but he'll be lifted up first on the cross, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And everyone who looked at the Lord who is lifted up lived. Those of us who have sinned, those of us who have said to God, we want our, ways of doing, our way of doing things. We live if we look at the one who is lifted up, if we look at Christ who has given his life for us. Because that one who descended from heaven and is lifted up on the cross in death is also the one who is lifted up to new life in the resurrection and who is made possible for us to have eternal life, life of the age to come, this new life in Christ that he has given us a glimpse of by overcoming death and living again. And the same Lord who came and descended and died and rose again is the same Lord who will be lifted up again when he ascends to heaven and takes power at the right hand of God. So that power is present for here and us to encounter right now. The message here is that if we want to know what it is to have new life and new birth, the, who we should be looking at is not ourselves, not our own actions, not our own experiences, not our own knowledge, not our own station in life, not our own anything, but we look at the one who is lifted up. We look at Christ. And until we look at Christ, we will always be insecure. Because if we rest on our own spiritual experience, if we rest on our own knowledge like Nicodemus does, if we rest on our own vision, if we rest on our own wealth and prosperity, if we rest on our own, um, well, we've always done it this way, if we rest on our own, uh, well, you know, I, I I'm at this place because my parents were here. If we rest on our own, um, anything of our, our own power, of our own life, we will always, always um, be doubtful. We'll, we'll always have the sands shifting beneath us. The way that we have confidence, the way that we have assurance, the way that we have security is to look at the one who has descended and who has been lifted up so that we may look at him and be saved.
As the one who's lifted up, as the one who very much knows what it is to experience a human life. God hasn't given us a concept. God hasn't given us a principle. God has given us himself in Christ so that everyone who looks at him may have new life with him. One of my favorite theologians, Jürgen Moltmann, uh, puts it this way. We, we have this on the screen for you. Um, here we go. God does not become a religion so that man participates in him by corresponding religious thoughts and feelings. God does not become a law so that man participates in him through obedience to the law. God does not become an ideal so that man achieves community with him by constant striving. He humbles himself and takes upon himself the eternal death of the godless and the godforsaken so that all the godless and the godforsaken can experience communion with him. God became a human being. The one who is from heaven descended to us so that he can be lifted up. The one who is from above gives us life from above so that then we can obey, so that then we can have religious thoughts and feelings even, so that then we can have community together. But it's all on the basis of Christ and God's gift to us. And it can't be any other way if we're to be secure because we need a power that's beyond us. We need a power that is more than us. We are about to experience a meal that identifies that for us. In this meal, which we are about to eat, we know that the one who has ascended comes to be with us, descends and gives his life and is lifted up for us even on the cross. And as we partake of this meal together, we remember the God of life who was lifted up for us. And we recall that story. We remember the movement of the Spirit. The Spirit blows where it will, uh, Jesus tells Nicodemus. And we pray that the Spirit blows in this place and in this moment and moves in our lives. And as we gather at this table, we gather as the family of Christ. And we come together for this meal that is the power of Christ for us. And as we bless this meal, we're about to pray this prayer that's called the Great Thanksgiving. And, and you'll notice three things in this prayer. The first thing that we'll do is that we will tell again the story of God with God's people. And just like Jesus reminded Nicodemus of the story of God with God's people, we, as we pray this prayer, will recall the story once again of the way that God has been with us from the very beginning, with the people of Israel, with the people who have made, become a part of Israel in Christ. When Jesus tells Nicodemus um, that uh, when he reminds him of this story, what he's doing is he's, he's showing him how this salvation that's offered by God to the people of Israel, it's now available to the whole world. It's available to us, right? It's not just the people of Israel who look at the serpent on the stick and can be saved. It is all of us and looking at Christ, the whole world, the whole world that can know salvation in Christ. God, and we will tell the story of how that happened. That's the second thing we'll hear as we pray this prayer. We will recall Christ giving himself up for us. And then we will pray for the Holy Spirit to be in this bread and in this wine and to be in this room among us, the body of Christ. 
Because like Jesus told Nicodemus, the spirit blows where it will. The spirit has a power that is beyond our power. And so we pray that the spirit is here present with us. So I invite you to this table and I invite you to this meal and I invite you to pray this prayer as we remember together. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. It is right to give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, and it is a good and joyful thing. Always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Lord, you brought everything into being and you called it good. And from the dust of the earth, you formed us in your image. and You breathed into us the breath of life. And when we turned away and our love failed Your love for us, it remained steadfast in Christ. When rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, you lifted up the ark on water and you saved Noah and his family. And you made a covenant with every living creature on the whole earth. And when you led your people to Mount Sinai through 40 days and 40 nights, you gave us your commandments and made us your covenant people. And when your people, when we, when we forsook your covenant, your prophet Elijah came and fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights on your holy mountain. And then he heard your still small voice as we seek to hear today. And so Lord, with your people on earth and all of your company in heaven, we praise your name and we join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is Jesus Christ. You gave him to save us from our sin. And your spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights to prepare for his ministry. And when he suffered and died on the cross for our sin, you raised him up, you lifted him up to life him alive to the apostles during the 40 days and then exalted him, lifted him up at your right hand. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the spirit. And now, Lord, when we, your people, prepare every year for Easter, you lead us to repentance of our sin and the cleansing of our hearts that during these 40 days of Lent, we may be gifted and graced to reaffirm the covenant that you made with us through Christ. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, our Lord Jesus took bread. He gave it, he gave thanks to you. He broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples and he said, eat this, all of you. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice, 
in union with Christ's offering for us, as we proclaim the mystery of faith, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit, your Spirit who blows where it will, on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. And Lord, with the confidence that we are your children, we pray the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body in Christ. And the cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you are invited to this table If you wish to respond to the call of God to be born anew, to receive new life in Christ. If you have confessed your sin and we have prayed and confessed, if you seek new life with Christ, this is the place for you. It doesn't matter if you're a Methodist. Um, It doesn't matter if you've never come to communion before. We hope that you will respond in faith today. Uh, If you're responding for the first time, we hope that you will continue to respond then by being baptized and and let us know so that we can walk this life of faith with you. Brothers and sisters, you are welcome at this table. It is Christ's table. And as we gather, um, I would invite those who will help me serve uh, to come and, and help make the table ready so that all can be made welcome.